Why with Arcia Tecun. Yeah, there, my bro. <laughs> Good to catch up again. Go ahead and introduce yourself, and then we'll, we'll go from there. Okay. Well, I'll I'll just start off first by uh, letting folks know that I'm uh, Southern Diné from uh, uh, Arizona, from the Four Corners region, um, otherwise known as uh, the Navajo Nation. So I'm going to introduce myself first um, in my language, and this is the way we're taught. We talk about protocol. This is one of the protocol that we're taught how to introduce ourselves. Yat e Richard Good evening, everybody. Good morning, everybody. Good afternoon, everybody. I'm like, like as I mentioned, my name is Richard White. I'm originally from Window Rock, Arizona, a member of the uh, Diné Nation, Southern Diné. Grew up in Window Rock, Arizona, the Navajo Nation, located in the Four Corners area of the U.S. Um, I'm currently 40. Damn, bro, I'm 43 years old. Man, what an old just man. Hit me. <laughs> <laughs> Shoot, I usually yeah, I usually don't have to tell my age, but that's you know that's part of the protocol. Wow. Currently living in uh, Bozeman, Montana. I have a wife, um, four children. Um, I work for currently. I'm working for the administration for uh, Native Americans and working with um, their Western Region Center. And what we do is we help administer grants for uh, community-based funding for uh, social economic development, um, environmental regulatory enhancement and regulation. Um, and for na- native language uh, preservation, maintenance, and immersion programs. Um, so that's currently what I'm doing. But um, my interest has always been working with and on behalf of indigenous communities um, ever since I, I started go- visiting different communities, um, even amongst, uh, in and around the Navajo Nation. Um, that's always been my passion. Um, it's always where I, I felt like I've had a voice. I always felt like I had something to contribute. And I uh, graduated from um, the University of Utah with my undergraduate degree in social behavioral health and science uh, and sociology, and then a master's degree in um, the Department of Education, Culture and Society with a master's in education. Uh, same program you went through. So uh, that's, how, that's how we got acquainted. That's how we know each other. Thanks, Brian. That's uh, memories, huh? <laughs> from back when you know, we were able to connect in that program. Uh, a lot of different folks there, which is great. You know, um, mm-hmm. uh, Inoka and Tino, who, who were on somewhat recently on this as well, were part of that program as well. And, um, you know, one of the things that, you know, we talked a lot about, man, we talked about heaps of stuff there. Uh, on one hand, we had the stuff we were dealing with in class, right? And we're getting exposed to all these kind of new things and getting to know each other. But then we had all these other conversations outside of the classroom. And I feel like that's where a lot of the good stuff was really happening uh, for us was kind of, you know, uh, being able to work through things in in different ways from the classroom setting that even though they were uh, really rich, you know, um, and, you know, really uh, great insights in those classroom settings, like what we were able to do kind of outside of it just opened up different ways of relating uh, with one another, relating um, to kind of knowledge and thinking about stuff. And, and I'm wondering if uh, maybe we start off with thinking about if you want to introduce maybe a little bit about Hojon, because I think there's a lot of interesting principles there that relate to other ideas about balance, right? Because I think that's one of the things that we were always kind of shifting between things. And one thing that, one thing that you always talk about is, you know, we, we move to where we need to move 
um, mm-hmm. rather than kind of that one one way kind of direction. But well, anyways, yeah. I'll, I'll turn it to you on that. Or what do you think? Yeah, and, and that's some, I mean, I, I find myself bringing that bringing that up in a lot of situations. And so, um, as I mentioned, my my background is and um, my training is in education and kind of being a uh, critical participant within the education system, I would say both from the perspective of Western ed, in addition to both uh, what, what I would term as kind of traditional community ed, um, many times very disparate points of view, oftentimes in conflict with one another in their aims and the way they um, produce certain types of knowledges particularly within Western ed, I think uh, more of a traditional community type of indigenous knowledge um, is for for the masses more than Western ed is because it's so wrapped up in such a capitalist system. And so um, I used to be, I, I've administered several different types of uh, students engagement programs, uh, students uh, develop, development mentorship programs, particularly focused on American Indian students. So I was the program coordinator for a program at the University of Utah called the Native American Research Internship, and it was focused on undergraduates, Native juniors and seniors who were interested in um, getting into uh, biomedical research, health science research. So a lot of these kids were coming in um, interested in becoming physicians and interested in in, in areas of, of research that would help um, address a lot of the health disparities that we find in, in our communities. And so um, looking at it from that perspective and then looking at it from also I was the director for the American Indian Alaska Native Student Success Center here at Montana State University. Uh, Montana State has at that time had about a 6% American Indian student population, which is unheard of for most places here in the States. Generally, it hovers around maybe 0.5%, probably at the height for most institutions, uh, 2% at most. But MSU really reflects um, the state demographic, which, I mean, if you're a Native student, if you're an Indigenous student, if you're a Brown student, to see other folks like you on campus, it's, it, it, it was such a, a, a breath of fresh air. Uh, but they also struggled as well with some of the same things in terms of not feeling um, welcomed, feeling like an outsider, um, what, what we know as within the academy, imposter syndrome, uh, micro micro racial aggressions was rampant and probably still is. Um, a lot of the same things that my my kids who came through the the Native American Research Internship Program experienced as well. And so, with those folks, with that um, research program, there were it was a national recruitment. So I had the opportunity to recruit Native students from all over the country. So we had students from Yale. We had students from Louisiana State University, University of Wisconsin, University of Minnesota. Um, University of Washington, um, University of, of Northern New Mexico, uh, New Mexico State, uh, Arizona State, every Native students from everywhere. Um, and they all came to the campus for a 10-week uh, program. The reason why I'm bringing that up is because the way students, both in some of those internship programs that came to the U for 10 weeks, and then the students that were at Montana State University full-time living here, you know, from the state, from neighboring communities, as far as, you know, five hours away, as close as two hours away. Um, some living here in Bozeman who, 
you know, didn't have to commute very far. A lot of them struggled with that, that notion of balance. And so um, when you bring into the discussion, things like imposter syndrome, um, racial, racial microaggressions, um, one of the things that I've always uh, had to talk to them about and, and really break it down to, and I, I didn't really realize it until I talked about it in terms of hojon, in terms of balance, in terms of harmony, is that, um, and this is a, a Dene uh, concept, um, and, and it's really, it's really the, the main uh, goal of life as we understand it as human beings is to try to maintain that balance, to, to maintain, and, and another way we say it is to walk in beauty. Um, and the more I started to apply that concept and to see what it really meant, given my, my experience and my real world, world circumstances, it really, I came to understand it like it, it's, it, it's, a, it's a constantly moving state. Um, there's constant shifting that has to happen. So if, if, you, if you think about it in analogy, if you're going to be walking in balance, if you're going to be walking on a path, um, think about it with... Um, shifting terrain maybe think about it with shifting inclines and declines um, think about it in terms of different types of weather coming down on you high winds snow sunshine going in going through a forest going through having to cross a river walking on the pavement uh, in 100 degree weather like you think about life's challenges and the way it always has these different elements um, that affect you on your on your on your path of life, on on on, on your on your on your walk on your journey, and so um, you always have to be nimble. You always have to be kind of. You always have to be forward thinking as well. You have to have a plan of, and you have to have a destination of where you're trying to get to. You don't necessarily have to know exactly where you're going. If you have a general idea um, and you keep your feet moving and you keep constantly going forward, um, well, not necessarily forward. I, 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 I don't want to contradict myself there, but if you're constantly moving, I would say, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily mean if you're moving forward or back or moving from the left to the right, but you're, you're shifting in order to um, offset any kind of hindrance, any kind of barrier, any kind of extra push to knock you off balance if you're moving to to counteract that um that's the challenge of of that philosophy and i i came to realize that's why as far as the net people are concerned this is at least you know my interpretation is that that's why that's so difficult because oftentimes from a non-indigenous perspective when we talk about balance and we talk about harmony it means the absence of negativity it means the absence of struggle. It means the absence of pain and suffering, which it, it isn't. It includes all of that. And that, that's the challenge, is that we have to understand how to move simultaneously with struggle and with success, with pain and with happiness, with a blockage of where we're supposed to be going as far as you know sight and sound is concerned and at the same time using our senses um, to guide us to keep to keep moving so that concept uh, uh, really for me in, in my experience has has proven to be more valuable as I get older like I mentioned I'm 43 now so so thinking, thinking about it in terms of, of when I was 23 like I I, I I think I would have 
understood a lot more in my life happening then um given that 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 type of perspective so if i could go back to my my younger self in 20 years and explain that to myself i think it would have it would have opened up my my mind and my actions and my perspective on on lots of things um a little more and i'd, I'd have a, a, a i think an easier time understanding some of the the challenges that i went through future challenges that i was going through you know that that type of insight and that that type of thinking oftentimes just just comes with experience that's the concept and i used to always tell students i said you you know you have to you just have to keep it moving you have to have a plan you have to have you have to you have to be able to move between world one and world two and the additional worlds that are there so not only the tradition and modern but the gray area in between and that was one of the things that i always always had whenever i had an opportunity i i i i counter that narrative that native students struggle native people struggle because <clears throat> they're trying to balance the the traditional and the modern and i don't necessarily think that's that's the case because we've always been able to balance the traditional and the modern we've always had the opportunity when we've had the opportunities to understand new technologies when you've had the opportunity to understand different ways to adapt and survive we we've always clung on to that and we've always understood it and we've always been expert practitioners when it when it came to that so we never struggled with being in the old and then not knowing how to embrace the new so i always tell students i'm like you know you're 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 already doing in that mode of being in two worlds world 1 and world 2 but there's also you know worlds 3 4 5 and 6 that you're also having to to balance and walk through simultaneously so um <clears throat> don't think of it as a deficit don't think of it as this is why i'm struggling think of it of of this is why this is why i'm here to this day because my ancestors were able to do that because my family was able to to do that successfully so it's up to me to continue that on to know how to walk between and amongst all those worlds successfully i'm doing it now that's why i'm here at msu that's why i'm here at the university of utah that's why i was selected for these programs so i never i never <clears throat> at all ever accepted that that narrative and it's still rampant today but i always i always try to to speak against it given that that type of analogy and then just knowing the the history of my ancestors and my family and and uh my relatives and how they adapted to constantly shifting um paradigms con- constantly shifting environments constantly shifting new ideas and communities um struggles pain they they learned how to they learned how to to shift that and they continue to walk in in balance and continue to to walk towards um that harmonious state that state of hojon also wanted to add to that too a really important fundamental concept along with that so it it's a part of the concept of hojon it's a part it's a part of the concept of wholeness is that with the nate with the dinet perspective there's always a female part and there's always a male part and they work simultaneously with each other so as human beings we're taught <clears throat> that we're made up of female energy and that we're made up of male energy and and an additional component to that is to keep that balance. You don't want the female energy to kind of overtake you as a person 
and you don't want that male energy to overtake you as a person. And even within our ceremonial life, we have female parts to ceremonies and we have male parts to ceremonies. So there's, there's always that, that constant um, awareness and that constant acknowledgement of these moving parts in terms of what makes the whole and what makes um, us whole individuals, whole human beings, and at the same time learning how to balance that stuff um, all at the same time. Oh yeah, man. No, it's making me think, you know, um, as you're explaining it, that um, I feel like maybe some of the struggle comes from, you know, not the adaptability and movement that you're talking about, but rather when people don't accept that reality. And I think that sometimes there's that colonial logic that freezes us in time or, or even into one space. And so we feel like we're only one thing or the other rather than constantly moving, as you mentioned, I think maybe that's where the struggle comes from is when, like, I think about, yeah, that kind of the, the kind of modern Western logic of, of um, forcing a particular way, right. Um, which is, which is never going to be the case, right. It's an illusion that you could force your way um, across the world or even on a people, even though you can effectively oppress a lot of people in the process, mm-hmm. it's always kind of been an incomplete process because it's never been like, I guess, fully realized. Um, And, you know, whereas, you know, we take these other perspectives, you know, whether it's from the Diné perspective uh, or even other indigenous perspectives that aren't about trying to control the world, but rather kind of how do we respond and move with the many worlds that we're part of and that we move in and out of, um, Mm -hmm. which is a very, just, it's just a completely different way of approaching it, right? You know, instead of trying to force a particular way and say, no, how do we respond to all these larger things? You know, because yeah. as much as we might try to harness the power of the sun, like we, we can't control the sun either. Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think that's, I, I was just thinking as you were explaining, it, I was like, yeah, man, I feel like that's part of the, maybe that's where the, a lot of that kind of discomfort mm-hmm. comes from. Yeah. And, it, and it's the, the, I would say the Christian idea that progress is only up and progress is only forward. When the indigenous the indigenous concept of progress, um, and using using that that English term, um, is different. And progress could mean taking a step back because if, if you're if you're not seeing fully the whole picture, um, taking a step back and refocusing that's you know that's intelligence. That's that's knowing that you're not in in, in the spot where you need to be. So instead of trying to push forward, instead of trying to fake it to make it, instead of trying to grind it out, like all of these, these Western notions, you know, cliches teach us how, how, how to, to respond to these things that did in this concept is like, okay, well, why don't you just take a step back? Or why don't you view it from a different, a different angle, call in your relatives or, you know, ask your, your spouse, ask your family what, you know, what you should do given the situation. I think I think it is also a big part of the problem is because we're 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 taught that there's only way to, there's only two ways to progress that's upward and forward and that's it and so that we're our minds and our lives are much more dynamic our options are much more dynamic than that yeah no definitely man you know um, yeah like and that that's the thing right when you're talking about that movement it's not one direction movement and I think that's the that's that key thing right like like you mentioned right mm-hmm. so you just gotta stop maybe take a step back, maybe take a step left, you know, or further left, 
or whatever, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just keep going left, man. Just throwing out uh, some subtle hints out there for the listeners. Exactly. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, but I love that the idea of, you know, like, again, balance. And it reminds me of, like, there's this big movement in um, what we would call Latin America um, or otherwise, you know, maybe Abiyala is another term where there was this move to kind of like living a good life or good living. Um, and then like in Ishimule or Guatemala, uh, where, where my fans and, and peoples are, are mostly connected to, um, it's expressed as or like to live well. Um, and, it, and it isn't the, the idea of to live materially well, right? But rather how do we live a life of dignity? Um, and it doesn't mean that there's not gonna be struggle or difficulty, right? And that's why they had to kind of rebrand this thing. Cause it's like, no, we don't want to live, you know, the, you know, a particular definition of, you know, like kind of material wealth, um, you know, and it's not that you, you're trying to be poor either materially. It's just that, no, the focus is something different. The focus is how do we live with dignity? And, and that may change across time and space, depending on what the circumstances are in our world. Um, mm-hmm. and how to assert like a, a different approach, right? Rather than wanting to continually develop um, in the way that, um, you know, these kind of first world, third world nation kind of relationships create a certain way of thinking about developed or underdeveloped. Instead, they're like, no, no, we're not interested in that. It's like, we, we just want to live dignified lives. And that yeah. doesn't mean we're not going to have struggle. That doesn't mean that we're not going to have issues, but how can we live with dignity um, mm-hmm. when we're not constantly being slammed by stuff? But also we're not after, you know, um, a particular, uh, you know, model or standard of, of life that you're presenting to us as well, that we need this and we need that. And that may not be the case, you know, maybe we can, you know, one other thing that we've talked about that I think would be great for people to, to hear from you on is um, like just thinking about protocols. And I think that sometimes um, I, I feel like that's what protocols um, often do is they, they're like guidelines to, you know, if you understand them and are enacting them, to help kind of recalibrate the multiple relationships that we have, mm-hmm. um, you know, where it isn't like always necessarily a hard and fast rule per se, um, but more a case of like how, uh, like it might be hard and fast in a certain context, a certain moment in time, but um, it, may, it may be like the bigger principle of like how these function as, as guidelines to live in a balanced way when we kind of forget those things or when we adopt other things. And, you know, then sometimes that can also kind of, throw us off balance as well, I think, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and, and the, the way I introduced myself um, at the beginning, that that's part of uh, Dene protocol. We're, we're taught to, to do that in particular when you're um, publicly speaking uh, or when you're in a community setting, when you're in a ceremonial setting, <clears throat> we're taught to do that when you're amongst other people that, you know, may not be familiar with you even if it's your entire family and, you know, there's two individuals there, we're still taught to introduce ourselves in that way. Um, and basically what, what I, I, the way I introduce myself is the way our uh, Dinesh society is made up is, is we're really strongly kinship based. And so we're uh, matrilineal, we're uh, matrilocal. So who we are as, as Dinesh people flows through our mothers and grandmothers. And um, we identify ourselves through our, our kinship, our clans. And so our clans that, were, that, that we inherit are really essentially our, our, all of our grandmothers and mothers' clans. 
So when I introduce myself, the way you start it is you start with your 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 mother's clan. So the way I said it in Dene is Nakai Dene Enishle. And the, the, the loose English interpretation for that is is Nakai Dene'e, is uh, the Mexican people, Mexican clan. So I get that clan from my mom. And then you introduce your father's clan. And my father's clan is Tsenjikine. Bashishchin is how you say it. So I was born for this clan. And, and that clan, the, the loose English interpretation is Honeycomb Rock people. And then you go to your paternal grandfather and your maternal your maternal grandfathers is how you say in Navajo um, so my uh, maternal grandfather his clan the way you say it in Navajo is Hanagatni Edashiche so that's saying that that's my mother's father's clan and the interpretation for that is um, one who walks around um, is the people that he comes from and then you cite your father's uh, your father's father's clan, uh, your paternal grandfather's clan, and his is Tsutni, and you say Edashinale, and that means my my father's father, um, and his clan Tsutni is uh, big water people. But essentially, when when I'm when we say this is my grandfather's, my my mother's father's clan, my father's father's clan, they get those clans from their from their mothers. So it all flows in, in that direction. And so what that does is that situates people within the community setting. It situates people within a ceremonial setting. So depending on what other clanship systems each individual has, um, they're, related to, they're related to me by, by the, the situation and by the makeup of my clan. So if I had never met you before um, and we had the same maternal clan so our mothers had the same nakai clan then by clanship standards you'd be my brother and so you could talk to me as your brother and i could talk to you as my brother so there's there's a certain authority that you have there's a certain authority that i have if you were the same clan as my paternal grandfather's clan then you could be my paternal grandfather i'd call you nale and you would call me nale and I could talk to you like a grandson and you could talk to me like a grandpa. So when you think about it in those terms of what, you know, who has the authority to say what, who has the authority, who has the insight um, to contribute to a community gathering or contribute to um, a ceremonial gathering. It, it situates people, it kind of puts people in their roles and not necessarily in a hierarchical sense at all, um, it's just that that folks have different roles depending on what the community gathering is for. Sometimes it's very clanship based. So, a group of clan members. So, well, I'll just say, you know, my clan, a group of Nakai Dene clan members came together for a particular gathering, a particular ceremony. They're the ones who are in charge. And so, if I come into the mix and you, Daniel, invited me and said, "Hey, come to," you know, I want you to check this out. It's 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 a bunch of Nakai Dene's who are there. And I introduce myself as Nakai Dene and say, I never met any of these people at, at the community that you're introducing me to. I'm already, I'm already part of the, the protocol there. And it's, it's my role and duty to, to contribute as other Nakai Dene's would, even though I'm brand new to the community. It, 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 that's, the, you know, that's kind of the, the invitation. That's kind of the expectation for that. So when it comes to, to protocol like that, it really helps to define 
roles for people. And I think that's really helpful because you get a certain, certain aspects of insight, you get certain aspects of perspectives. Um, and then in addition to that, a lot of uh, clanship families um, have very particular traits. So a lot of clanship systems maybe or clan, groups of clans maybe for example maybe known for being artisans maybe known for producing different types of art or you know sand paintings for example for ceremonial purposes or they're really good weavers and we traditionally used to use um uh, a lot of rugs um weaving tapestries too within ceremonial settings and there's traditional stories that go behind each of those types of uh, weaving patterns. And so, you know, a group of certain clanship members may have, you know, that, that general characteristic. Other clan members may have more of a kind of a leadership role, political role, community role. And that's their, you know, that, that's who they are as people. And maybe some of these folks on this side, they're more of the traditional healers. Um, Maybe some folks on the other side, they're more of the traditional song makers um, or maybe the, the, the regalia makers or the, the, the um, sacred instrument artisans who know how to, you know, who know how to fashion traditional bows or know how to fashion moccasins or know how to make um, the right type of spear points and arrowheads for certain types of ceremonies. So there's different levels to that. So that's, you know, another level you can kind of think of why that type of protocol is important. Um, and so the deeper, the, the more deeper and in detailed you, you kind of get, you, you realize, oh, wow, it's, it's such an intricate system just to do that. It's produced by a simple introduction, but there's layers to that when you really start to peel back why we're taught to do that, how it, it plays out um, within different types of community settings uh, and it starts it starts to make a lot of a lot of sense and, that, and that's one of the things that when I did work in research one of the things that we always taught uh, re researchers who are not part of the native communities that wanted to be a part of it to work with them is you have to be part of the community in order to be accepted and I think that's something that research in general does not do well at all within native communities they're not they're researchers who come in that you know they have a sense of um, authority that's been taught to them by western science and western research and a lot of the time that that conflicts with indigenous community um, roles and responsibilities and we always i used to always tell the researchers that i worked with you know you got you got to visit the community you got to be amongst them you can't be there with your agenda you can't be there taking surveys and want, want to distribute all this research information no go over there and go 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 cook something Get, go hand out plates to people, go give stamps to folks coming in to the, you know, the local powwow, go give out food to the elders to be there to help the community first. And then you'll be understood by the community as having this particular role. And then you'll be able to you'll have the chance to kind of voice how you want to help with the community. That way your role is defined by the community. If you come in with your own idea of what you can do, what you should be able to do, and what you will do, a lot of the times that doesn't work at all um, for everybody involved. So that important piece of being part of the community and, and really knowing what your role is, I think is the big takeaway for, for that type of, of protocol. Yeah, man. No, just awesome.
like the, yeah, the, the the complexity of of relationships right whether it's you know the, the, like those kinship ties like you mentioned or just thinking you know it, when when you don't do that you don't really know where you stand you don't know you don't know where other people stand in it because if you don't know who you are how you're related what your role or function is and like you mentioned right it may not be the same every time depending on you know what's the purpose of the gathering you know who is there how are you related um and it makes you think about you know some of the you know other groups that i've worked with as well and like you know on one hand you might be in a chiefly position on another hand you might be in a serving position right you're mm-hmm. never always in the same position um and, and i love how you talk too how you know there's there's these other elder status that isn't just about age right it yeah. could be about you know how you're related to different people in different ways and somebody i was thinking about like you know people that might be younger but that are elder to me in particular knowledges or elder to me in particular relationships that I have. And yeah, it's something that, that, that protocol does as far as like, not just balance within your, you know, your own operating and positionality, but in relation to so many other things, you know. There's this other thing that, that we've talked about that, uh, is a, it's a growing thing, right? And this is the land acknowledgements that take place. And I think there is a, a well-meaning intent uh, behind maybe trying to establish a sense of protocol in a space that hasn't had it, but it can be a little bit messy or clumsy <laughs> as well. And I'm wondering if maybe we can, you know, as we look at this kind of very grounded notion of protocol, and then we have like, like in the academic spaces we're in, and even non-academic at times now, you're starting to see and hear more of that. Um, and not just the U.S. context, right, but in different places around the world, um, mm-hmm. there's kind of a, a growing awareness of, of thinking about land acknowledgements and, and people of, of that particular land. But, you know, on one hand, you know, awareness is, can be important um, and visibility. But on the other hand, too, like it can also serve as a, a distancing or a kind of like, hey, you know, wash my hands of um, <laughs> maybe not actually changing anything, but I've covered my bases, you know. Um, so I don't know, I'll, I'll turn it to you on uh, some of the stuff you've observed and think about with, with land acknowledgements. Yeah, so I, I mean, it, it, it kind of goes along the, the protocol lines that we talked about. So I just want to share a, another story regarding, um, you know, the, the way I introduced myself. So I was being interviewed for a, a research position um, a couple of years ago, and there were some Indigenous folks that were on the hiring committee. And... I came in and um, they interviewed me, um, and I didn't. I didn't introduce myself um, as I just did here at, uh, because there were no other Dene on the hiring committee. There was only three other um, Indigenous folks that were there, and 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 they weren't Dene. So um, I didn't do that because it wasn't appropriate to to introduce myself in that way. Um, and then later on, after I got hired, I heard from the chair of the committee saying, well, one of the, the indigenous uh, folks on the committee really thought it was not appropriate that you didn't introduce yourself in your native language. And I remember thinking, I'm like, what does that, you know, what does that have to do with me being a Navajo person? I know this person definitely doesn't understand my language. Um, so what, what, what's, you know, what, what's the point of, of doing that? Because, and I explained to her, I said, well, this is, you know, the protocol and why we do it. So, there's really no reason for me to, to introduce myself in, in Navajo to 
um, non-Navajos that are here, particularly for a, just a job interview. And, uh, and I told her, I said, you know what, what that person really wanted from me was for me to perform for them. They wanted me to, to take my indigeneity and take it out and shine it up and set it right there on the table right next to me while, <laughs> while I did the, the interview. Um, so I told them, I said, I'm not, I'm not indigenous enough. I mean, look at me. You can't you can't tell that, that I'm native, especially if you're if you're claiming native descendancy. Um, that 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 don't work with me. Um, so as far as like protocol is concerned, and as far as performing for not only other indigenous folks who might be on, you know, my future uh, selection committees, <laughs> don't expect me to do that if you're not now. <laughs> yeah. Just a forewarning. Um, and that, yeah, but I mean, it, that, that notion of, of performance also of, of taking out your indigeneity and, and, and shining it up and, and putting it out on display for everybody in a public setting, particularly within the academy, I think is rampant. And I think a part of that um, definitely is some of the land acknowledgement um, stuff that's been happening, at least the things that I've seen and the things that I've, I've been a part of, not only here um, on MSU's campus, but um, other folks and other colleagues that I've I've um, who are associated with, with other institutions um, I've just kind of seen this this idea spread and so for me I'm really cautious when looking at that and, and as I mentioned my, my training from ECS I, I'm trained to be a critical observer so I'm, I'm always critiquing things like that especially when it comes from um, the academy and, and a western institution because oftentimes in the name of diversity, in the name of, you know, blank, whatever oppressed community or, or uh, student population, they always seem to um, provide tiny pieces of, of evidence that they're moving forward in, in a direction that, that's respectful of folks from those communities um, and folks from adjacent communities when in actuality they're not. And that's kind of how I feel most land acknowledgements that I've seen are aimed at. They're, 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 ones, they're wanting to kind of give a head nod to the indigenous community. Like, yeah, we, we see you out there. See what we're doing up here? Look, we're, we're acknowledging the land. And coming from an indigenous perspective, um, if you really want to acknowledge the land, then we have ceremonies for that. We have yearly, seasonally um, ceremonies in, 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 in order to actually provide acknowledgement of the land and acknowledgement comes in the form of prayer acknowledgement comes in the form of songs acknowledgement comes in the form of community gatherings acknowledgement comes in the form of various aspects of reciprocity um one of them being some form of suffering so when traditionally um as the net people um, we have different types of uh, seasonal um, ceremonies and prayer directed basically at continuing the progress of the community, continuing the progress of ceremonies that are going to happen now and then in the future. And so a lot of that comes with some form of um, suffering, whether it's not eating for several days, whether it's staying up several nights in a row, dancing, praying, singing, whether that's um, being in a sweat lodge and having to endure that heat, 
um, whether that's sitting up in, in, in different types of ceremonies all night, several nights in a row, feeling those body aches, feeling those body pains, and just, uh, you know, having some sort of prolonged discomfort. <laughs> it's really, it's really what that, what that means. So when I see these folks, you know, dressed up really nice, come out of their office for maybe maybe an hour for a public presentation and they want to acknowledge the land of which their institution stands on or of which you know was was occupied by various indigenous communities who also for centuries acknowledged the land through ceremony acknowledged the land through some sort of some sort of suffering so if those folks really want to acknowledge the people of that land why don't you try to look up some of the ceremonial things that they did or some of the folks that that are currently still, you know, of the land, have a knowledge of the land. I guarantee you, those folks are are suffering a bit for the land in the sweat ceremony, doing you know, uh, uh, lodge sun dancing, piercing their skin, fasting, not drinking any water, enduring heat, have body aches. You know, that's that 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 that's acknowledgement of, of the land in a real traditional essence, in a real traditional sense in terms of reciprocity, because we're taught that we're made up of of the elements. We're, ta- we're taught we're made up of the stars, we're taught we're made up of the earth, we're taught we're made up of the mountains and the desert and the, the insects and the animals and the plants. Those are all within us. So in order for us to really understand that in a humble manner, we have to give back. So that suffering is given back. So we suffer in terms of putting ourselves in a spiritual mind state, putting ourselves in a spiritual physical state. And that suffering has to occur for that to, to truly happen, for there to be a true reciprocity um, with the land that's there. So I'm always like like we talked about, if, if you're gonna if you're gonna really acknowledge the land, you better be you better be sweating or bleeding. <laughs> One of the two at the very least. Yeah, <laughs> gotta bleed a little. Uh, if you need any help, we're happy to apply. You better actually have a call in sick for work at least one day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for real, no, I, I, that's yeah, man. It's just like you know, who who's it for, right? And what's it for? Yeah. Are those are those questions, right? That just keep coming up, you know, and like, and it goes back to even that early example you gave too, like who's the audience and. And, uh, you know, to just kind of give this flash so of, hey, you know, I'm, I'm doing this stuff, but it actually distance, distance you from, you know, actually having any kind of responsibility or accountability to. I, I, I think that that's really what it does. I, I think it, it's meant to, it's meant to, to, to highlight, you know, that acknowledgement for the land. But in essence, really what it does is it distances that person from the land because, I, I guarantee more times than not, those folks actually think, well, I'm, I'm doing a good thing. Well, no, you're acknowledging something that is very foundational to who you are standing on this piece of earth right here. So rather than just coming up and saying you acknowledge whatever, whatever for, you know, uh, 45 seconds, actually acknowledge the land. Like, what are, you, what are you giving back to it? How are you, how are you making sure that the soil you're standing on is not toxic. How are you making sure that the ground that you're walking upon is going to be available for the next generations to come? What are you actually doing to acknowledge the land in that way? If anything, I, uh, I had a, a, a experience with my dad. <clears throat> we were at a, 
NIEA conference in Seattle one year and it was lunchtime. We were going down to uh, Pike's Market and we were, um, I can't remember the, the Seattle Convention Center is where we were at. So we were walking down and they had all of these um, folks that were on street corners saying, you know, I can't remember what organization they were with. I don't think it was Greenpeace, but something like that. Um, Stop science petition. Do you, you know, if, if you care about the land run, you care about the environment, put your name on this position, just kind of, you know, shouting at people in the corner to, to get them to sign a particular petition. And we kept going. We just kind of ignored him. And then one of them stopped my dad. And he was like, hey, sir. He's like, you look like you're, uh, you might be indigenous. Are you indigenous? He's like, yeah, yeah, I'm from, he's like, where are you from? He's like, oh, I'm from, uh, I'm Navajo, I'm Diné, Southern Diné from, um, from uh, Winter Rock, Arizona. And they go, oh, cool. You know, you can, um, you can help out with the environment because I know you guys are really close to the environment by signing this petition. And dad kind of got offended. He's like, you know, you, I, 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 I do more than, than write my name on things for for the environment he said I, you know I, I sit up and and pray every every weekend uh through different traditional ceremonies i go out and and offer corn pollen to the water i offer corn pollen to our corn i offer corn pollen to um of these environmental uh living things that help sustain us as humans i do that every day i wake up every single morning at 4 30 a.m i go outside and i pray to that dawn when that when that sun's coming up what do you do? <laughs> and he's like, he just looked at <laughs> So he said, if I'm going to sign that petition, you better come down, come down to Arizona. He said, we're going to make a nice hot sweat for you. And I'm going to teach you how to get up and pray every morning. If you want me to sign it, are you going to do that? He said, I'll write your name down right here. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're not real about it. He said that we just walked on. <laughs> My man, Mr. White. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, yeah, bro. It's just, again, it's, just, it's that, you know, like, you know, when you abstract it, again, it just creates this distance from, you know, kind of something completely different, which is that completely different kind of consciousness of how you relate with, with place. Nah, man, you know, it's making me think too, though, like just to give folks a, 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 an example. The last time we chat, you, you, were, you brought up, uh, we were talking about Boba Fett. And I feel like, you know, I, I can't let this episode end without us at least making a, a, a little crossover into the Star Wars universe. Boba Fett, like, my man bleeds, right? It, with, uh, with the land and with the people. And Anyways, I'll turn it to you because I think that just, gave, again, it's a pop cultural reference, but the, the politics were, were much, I think, it were, were refreshing. You know, I was, I, was, yeah. I was getting down with the Boba Fett, the book of Boba Fett, because it was, yeah. it was uh, addressing some stuff that were like, oh, all right, you know? Finally, people can realize, you know, the Tuscan Raiders were like, since the beginning, like, I feel like that was missed out on people. They were always looked at as kind of the baddies. And I'm like, nah, man, like, the Tuscan yeah, Raiders, were, you know? Like, Anakin Skywalker, you just murdered all those indigenous folks. Oh, <laughs> you man, really yeah. are a colonizer, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> people think you're the good guy. Yeah, yeah. Oh, for real. Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> No, but the way, like the way he, he, well, he was captured and then slowly being a part of the community, you know, both of them both realized Boba and, and the Tuscans, like we, we have a mutual understanding we have a mutual relationship that we're building upon. And then that just continued to grow because Boba knew his place in, the, in that community. Granted, it was forced, but he still realized, you know, I, I have a place here. 
And the Tuscans also, I think, were a little, a little aggressive with him at, at first, but kind of said, hey, you know what? This guy's, this guy reminds us of us. Let, let, let's bring him, let's bring him in. Let, let, let's, let's, te let's teach him some of the things that we know in terms of surviving how we survive um, as a people. And then it ended up at the end, you know, him claiming that, you know, this, this I'm, I'm representing the, the Tuscans of this land and they've never gone anywhere. This is their domain. This is who they are. This is who we are. And I was like, that's right, Boba. <laughs> I always knew you. I always knew you were down. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, just just that that piece was, was super awesome to, to see and. Yeah, he did, he did the uh, the land acknowledgement properly there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, man, because he, he had some something behind it. You know what I mean? Yeah, he earned it. Yeah, yeah, all the all the, the trials and yeah, all the things that they put him through. Yeah, and yeah. he he had he had the authority, he had the right to say this. I'm the acknowledged land because this is who who it belongs to. So that was awesome. I'm like, oh yeah, I needed like that. That's a dissertation in of itself. Anyone yeah. who's writing about land acknowledgement. Watch the book of Boba Fett. Watch how it's done. <laughs> <laughs> For real. <laughs> <laughs>
I remember we were all excited and joking around driving over there. And then the drive back, it was silence the whole three hours because we were all so tired. <laughs> recovery, man, recovery. <laughs> yeah. But but what, what we do with that, too, in terms of like acknowledging what the land is giving us, um, Navajos, we always offer something. And traditionally, it's corn pollen. Whenever we harvest something, whenever we we take something from the land for our own individual use, even if it's with, especially if it's within ceremony, I would say. We always provide that that offering of corn pollen because corn pollen is is that discussion would take another several podcasts to talk about the importance of it. But basically, um, it's one of our most sacred medicines that we have. Um, and there's a, there's there's several long stories about um, its importance to us, um, how it evolved, how we became to understand it. It's it's medicinal um, uh, authority. And then how to engage with it properly um, through a lot of our, our uh, cosmology and our creation story. So it's a long history, but we, we, we do that because of that, because of the importance of it, because we, we understand our relationship with, with um, its power and how it connects us with uh, other earthly elements and how we understand that, that, that level of reciprocity and that system of reciprocity. And that system of protocol, you know, talking about all these things. Um, so, yeah, that, that, that was, you know, one of the things that dad does. And, and you've had a personal experience with um, when it comes to protocol, when it comes to, I guess, some of the things that you would do for an actual land acknowledgement um, would be to offer something. And essentially, that, that's what I'm getting at, is you have to offer something to the land in order to, to truly and properly acknowledge it in a way that's, that's reciprocal for the land think about that a lot you know that that experience we had and I felt like when you know when your dad was you know kind of opening up and closing up kind of our 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 the space in a sense right like it was for me it kind of activated this this consciousness or awareness of like we're in a living place you know and uh, which is so different from other types of relating to place you know where it, it is like objectified this object right and one of the things that I think of as well with any type of those acknowledgements is like going back to the beginning when you introduce yourself, that sense of protocol, right? You're, you're positioning yourself in relation to all the relations that are around acknowledging a, a living reality, right? A living world rather than kind of a, you know, the assumption of a, of a dead world, right? Or a kind of objectified one. And, uh, yeah. And that, that's really, that's really what it is. It's really acknowledging all of the, the real connections that we have as human beings because in today's society we're not we're not taught to really feel those connections we're not taught to really look for those connections we're not really taught to acknowledge those connections but in essence we have so much that we're we're connected with and and a lot of the times we don't really understand the the influence that we have um and influence that other things that we're connected with have on us. You know, appreciate you uh, taking the time. It's always good to catch up. And uh, I know, you know, we've got family responsibilities. And so that you get back to that and I'll get back to that too. But uh, uh, I appreciate it, bro. All right, we'll talk to you later. <laughs>